Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Hosted by infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. That's me. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 60, and today we have Chelsea Karras on the air to talk all about sharing pregnancy news after going through infertility. It's something many people struggle with. I know I did, and still do. When is the right time and the appropriate way to share this precious news? Who do you tell? Is there such a thing as sharing too early or needing to wait because you never know what could happen? Well, Chelsea is an amazing IVF mom and has some beautiful insights into this delicate topic. So stay tuned. A friendly reminder to find and follow the podcast on Instagram. We are under the handle me, myself, Millie. That's M-E-M-Y-S-E-L-F. M-I-L-L-I-E, and I'm on there on a daily basis with regular podcast updates as well as details about my own journey. And hey, while you're on there, follow our guest too, Chelsea Karras. She's under the handle at C-H-E-L-S-C-A-R-I-S. So connect with us there and stay in touch on the Grandma-Rama. Okay, here's Chelsea. Chelsea, welcome to the show. It's such a treat to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I'm very excited. Oh my gosh, how are you doing? What is your COVID day-to-day look like? COVID day-to-day. Well, since COVID, we are homeschooling uh, my stepson, Silas. So we did a bunch of that this morning. But since I am here, my husband is hanging out with the kiddos. uh, And they're taking a nice lunch break from all the schoolwork. And I think Addie is napping at the moment. Oh my gosh, you are in homeschool mode. Yes, for sure. Oh. It was an adjustment, but it was it was a good one. Now, what kind of routine is he on? So, uh, we actually planned out a total routine for him because we wanted it to be as consistent as possible because with all the COVID changes, routines, you know, just fly out the window. So, wake up, breakfast, schoolwork till about 1230, take about a two hour break. So you can kind of reset and then it's back to doing schoolwork till about three o'clock. So we try to keep it as normal as possible. That's great. And is it all on Zoom? No, uh, we're actually in a homeschool program. So I, myself and my husband are his teachers. So it's basically on our own time. We have deadlines to meet uh, that we report back to the county and that's about it. So it's very self-paced, which is what we like the most. That's great. 
That's great. And you you made made that homeschool decision before COVID? No, actually, we made it um, due to COVID. We had talked about homeschooling for a long time. Our son is incredibly smart, and he just zips through things so quickly. And we always talked about getting him into homeschooling because he just excels so much. And COVID kind of just gave us the push to do so because the Zoom meetings were just so crazy and very disorganized and it just didn't work for us personally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's start off with you telling folks a little bit about who you are, where you live and what you do. Okay. Well, hi, I'm Chelsea. Another introduction is always a good place to start. (laughs) I'm Chelsea. I live in Oakdale, California. At the moment, I am a stay-at-home mom, I guess, slash teacher now. That's a a new new one for me. Uh, But I'm also a photographer, and I talk about my infertility journey on Instagram, which is why I'm here. Awesome. Yeah, that's how we got connected. Yes. (laughs) Oh, it's lovely. That Instagram community you, um, it's a big community. To be honest with you, I had no idea how big the community was until I was thrown into it. It's Mm. very surprising to me how many women go through this or excuse me, how many couples go through this. And it, it just completely blew my mind when I saw how common it actually was. Oh, me too. Me too. And I was just so grateful that so many women were able to talk about it. You know, like following certain accounts before I was ever ready to share my journey was so influential and helpful. And seeing people who were a little bit further down the line than I was, was just like, I don't know, you can't, it's hard to describe the, um, the feeling that you get when you when you can connect like that. Yes, I completely agree. I It actually gave me so much more hope to see some of those people who were already mid-cycle, mid either IUI or IVF, because I thought to myself, oh, what if this doesn't work for me? What if, you know, all of those negative thoughts that go into when you're first thrown into your infertility journey, then when you see people have so much success, you just think, oh, okay, that this could work for me. This this will happen. It gives you a lot more hope. At least it did for me. Absolutely. Um, give us a glimpse into your infertility journey, and start with when you and your husband started trying to conceive. Okay. So basically, my husband and I. Um, a lot of you who have followed me know that my husband and I got married very quickly. We got married on our four month anniversary. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. So you guys did not waste any time. No, we didn't. And we started trying the night of the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That a girl. Yep. We started trying the night of the wedding. Um, About six months into our marriage, we had already had two miscarriages. And I just started to get really, you know, discouraged thinking that there was something wrong. You know, he knew my history with my twin boys back, you know, that was about seven years ago at the time. So I thought maybe this was something lingering. That was a, you know, a problem. So we just, you know, I kept praying and 
we kept trying. And then eventually we finally, about a year in, we went to see a doctor and he said we had to give it six more months of trying before going the fertility route, which I didn't personally like because after two miscarriages in a row, you know, you think, okay, this isn't right. You know, it, it so was crazy. So he said um, to take, so you technically um, tried for 16 or what's 12 plus six, 18 months? Correct. We tried for 18 months naturally before he sent us to a fertility doctor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so um, I just want to backtrack a little bit. I'm not sure I, I know a lot about your twin story. What Can you fill us in on that? Sure. Um, when I was 19, very young, um, I became pregnant with the current boyfriend I had at the time. And about 19 and a half weeks in, uh, I miscarried and it was due to what the doctors explained to me to be a partial molar pregnancy, which is something that starts out that way. But if it's partial, it takes longer for the pregnancy to terminate itself. There's no real surviving rate for molar pregnancies, but usually with uh, one baby, it sometimes it terminates before women find out they're pregnant. Some go to about 15 weeks if it's a slower progression, but since I had twins, it affected one and it had a very slow growth. So that's why I got to be so far along and then the miscarriage occurred. And so I was told at the time that it wouldn't necessarily affect my you know, ability to get pregnant, but because I was far along and I had to have multiple DNCs and surgeries, it could affect implantation later just due to scar tissue on the uterus. But my ability to get pregnant, like my egg quality and things like that, shouldn't have been affected. But here we are. <laughs> I see. I see. So when you had two miscarriages after you got married, you were sort of relating that back to the the miscarriages that you had with the twins. Correct. And the and they said the D, the all the surgeries and the DNC could potentially inhibit implantation. Was it? Yes, just just because they said because um, I had to have multiple surgeries after the twins because of how much the molar pregnancy progressed in my body. Uh, I had to have multiple DNCs, and they said it could cause scar tissue and other implantation issues. Just to be aware of it just because usually with molar pregnancies or any mis miscarriage, most women know you get a DNC and, you know, it should be over with. But unfortunately, in my case, I had to have multiple. But interestingly enough, when I actually went to the fertility doctor and they looked at my uterus, I had barely any scar tissue. So. Oh, wow. So that wasn't the issue. Nope. I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility my egg quality was fine. My, all my hormones were fine. Uterus was fine. Tubes were open and beautiful, <laughs> but for whatever reason, my body was just saying no to pregnancy or at least keeping them. And how old were you at this point? I was 26. Got it. Got it. 
Okay, so they ran you through all the tests. They te- they checked your AMH, all the hormones. They did the H- HSG, um, and they concluded unexplained. Correct. Yeah, it was, you know, it's interesting when you're going through infertility because you almost hope they find something to explain what the problem is. But then when they come back saying, no, you're totally fine. We don't know what the issue is. And you're left with the the why. Like, how do these doctors who do this for a living not know what the problem is? It That just blew my mind. I was going in thinking, okay, well, this is probably the issue. This is probably the issue. But there are hormones and things I can take to help. And then they came back with, we don't know. Sorry. Oh, it's so defeating. You just feel so powerless. It's like you don't know and the doctors don't know. And you're just sort of left with like options. You know, you're like, you could try this. You could try that. It's a it's a really hard diagnosis. It really is because you just sit there and think, okay, so there's really nothing that I did or can be doing to make it even better. That's so... It's just very discouraging. Totally, totally. So um, what happened at that point? So uh, the doctor suggested that we first try uh, IUI, the intrauterine insemination. And we did that twice, and it failed twice. So he offered a third go around, but he said with my miscarriage history and the two failed IUIs, he suggested to move on to IVF might be our best possible option. And thankfully it was because now I have Miss Addie who's napping, but I'm very grateful. Oh, and how did your egg retrieval, how was the IVF process for you? It was brutal. Mm. I mean, it's so funny because I remember a friend of the family going through IVF. I think I was about 14. And I remember she would tell me that she had to poke herself with needles. And I just thought she was a complete Looney Tune because why would you do that? (laughs) And I I was so terrified of needles as a kid. Interestingly enough, I became an EMT and now I went through IVF, but it's, it's so funny. And she told me then, she's like, when you want something that much, you will do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, 15 some odd years later, here I am poking myself with needles. <laughs> <laughs> I will do whatever it takes to grow my family. <laughs> Boy, have the tables have turned. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. I I I totally remember being in that place where I was like I I was so opposed to doing IVF like I was just like I don't please tell me I don't have to do that please just tell me I don't have to do that and then when you find yourself doing it you're just like wow I'm the goalpost just keeps shifting You know, you just keep like moving and changing and doing things you said you never would do. Yes. And one thing, it's so funny too. I was afraid of needles and one of my really irrational phobias, I guess you could say, is being nauseous and throwing up. Mm 
which was my entire experience (laughs) with IVF. The hormones made me so sick. They made you sick? You were vomiting? Oh, every morning, 6.04 on the dot. Oh, wow. Wow. So, um, so you did one round of IVF? Yes. Um, the one round of IVF, they retrieved 13 eggs. They fertilized eight of them and two of them made it to the blastocyst phase. One of them is Adeline and we have one left on ice. Wow. And did you do any testing on the embryos? No, we decided not to. Um, my husband and I um, are Christians and we're not against IVF, obviously, because here we are, but um, we wanted to make the experience as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to know the gender. We didn't want to pick which embryo was quote unquote better or anything like that. We loved the kids that we were able to create with going through this and we want them both and we will love them both no matter what the issue is, if any. Yeah. Yeah. And Adeline is perfect. So. Oh, she is so perfect. I mean, I just got to say, side note, her hair color, some people do go to crazy extremes to try to get that girl's hair color. (laughs) It is so gorgeous. That br- it's like a brunette with a like a uh, red tone in it. It's just gorgeous. That's my husband's hair. She <laughs> has, and it's funny because my husband's bald now. But he, um, when he was a kid, that was his hair color. But it's so funny because she has my hair, like the texture and everything. That little goofy curl she has on the top that's all me but the hair color is all my husband (laughs) wow that's amazing that's amazing well um let's get into our topic which is gonna be very juicy I know for a lot of people um Chelsea you posted something very profound on Instagram about um maybe a month or two ago about the stigma surrounding the timeline of when someone should share their pregnancy news. Let's unpack this. Let, let's just like dive head deep, like straight into it. Tell me your thoughts on this. So um, I've always had really, I guess, deep opinions about this topic because I just, I never really understood why you wouldn't want to share good news immediately. I never understood that. Excuse me. And when I was younger, I was, I was always brought up and told, Oh, you, you announce your pregnancy at 12 weeks or later. When I asked my parents why that was, they said, just in case that was their answer for everything. It was just in case. And in my head, just in case, what? just in case what I just, I never understood it. And when I fell pregnant at 19 and I ended up miscarrying, my mother told me, this is why we don't tell people until they're incredibly ready, or you are sure the pregnancy is going to go well, because then you have to tell everybody that they passed away. And 
I still didn't get it. In my head, if I have a pregnancy that I am very excited about, I want the world to know. And, you know, heaven forbid something terrible happens and I lose that pregnancy, I would want the same amount of support that I got, you know, when I announced the pregnancy. So it it absolutely didn't make any sense to me. I mean, everyone has the right to share whenever they are the most comfortable. However, I just never understood why it was such a bad thing to announce pregnancy early just because there could possibly be a miscarriage situation. I would want the support. I It seems to me that everyone's trying to shame it in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah, they're trying to like push it away a little bit. And the thing that I don't, the thing that really bugs me Well, first of all, I agree with every single thing you said. Like, it just didn't make sense to me when I heard um, people waiting so long to share their news. And obviously, that it's a very personal decision, and everybody's got to come to that place on their own um, with their partner um, or not, or with just with their family. Um, but I really, it struck me as like, wow, we're really silencing women right now. We're really telling them that whatever your celebration is, if there, something does go wrong, we want you to deal with it in silence. Yes. And I just disagree with that philosophy completely. I would want support. I would want, you know, my family to support me, to support my husband and Silas, you know, things like that, because it affects everybody. It affects the whole family. And it's basically saying, well, you know, if something goes wrong, you can sweep it under the rug like it's no big deal. You can deal with it on your own because no one wants to hear about this. And it's that same concept of let's be quiet if it makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's just not the way that it should be at all, in my opinion. I think women should announce it when they want, if they want to get into the details of loss or anything, they should be able to speak about it openly without being shamed, without being ridiculed at all. I agree. I agree. And I know that there's um, there's some mixed feelings out there about when you share your infertility journey on um, Instagram. Like um, people, I'm going to like completely contradict myself here um, <laughs> with what I just said. Um, but there's a there's a mentality that if you share your journey, you also have to share that part too. And I don't think that I, again, I don't think there's any rules for it. Like, I think women should share what they want to share when they want to share it. Despite, Absolutely. Right. Like, despite whether or not people know they're going through IVF or doing an IUI, um, I know personally, my husband and I, we have never been pregnant before, and we started sharing our IVF journey 
on um, Instagram. And when we found out we were pregnant, I was like, I want to tell somebody, you know, like there's definitely, I don't want to keep this a secret. Like this is, this is exciting. We've never been pregnant before. And no matter what happens, I want to enjoy this moment. It, it should be celebrated. Yes. And um, and so I remember calling a few people, close friends and family, and sharing the news with them. Um, and because I didn't want them to find out on the internet, right? Like I just right. wanted I this is our first time. We're, you know, we're new to this. We want to give some people um a respectful announcement over the phone. So we did that, and I still got a few people that were like, Oh, you're early. Yeah, I that is immediately what I got from my family as well. I waited a few days to announce it on Instagram, and I told my parents. Brian told his parents and his grandmother. Those were the first people that we told. And we kind of got the same reaction, at least from from my mom especially. My mom has always been very quiet about things like that. So she said, well, I wouldn't post yet. That was what she said. And I said, why not? And she said, well, just in case. (laughs) And... (laughs) And I told her, I told her, I said, no, I'm going to post it because whether this goes through or not, it's a sign of hope for me and I want to enjoy it. I, I already knew that going through infertility and pregnancy after loss, pregnancy after infertility, you're anxious the whole time already. So for the moment, I was going to enjoy my time being pregnant and I was going to let the world know how happy I was about it. <laughs> yes. Good for you. And I th- that's that's kind of how I felt too. I was like, wow, we've been through so many so many waves of disappointing oh. news and now we have something so exciting. Like it's so it's so we were just, it was a jubilee in our household. Um, and to feel like we had to suffocate that a little bit was like, oh, what? We have to wait 12 weeks, 20 weeks. I know some women who wait till the anatomy scan to do it. Yep. That's when my mom waited. She waited until my anatomy scan is what she told me. Wow. Wow. And I I was just like this is um this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. Um anyways, women should be able to share their news when they are comfortable sharing their news. In your opinion, why does society have such an adverse reaction to hearing pregnancy news early? To be honest, I think it's just kind of like what I said before. I think people are so worried about hearing something that makes them sad or uncomfortable that they rather not know something at all, just in case. And it just, 
it just blows my mind because I feel like society and women are missing out on those joyous moments. And I feel kind of like what exactly what you said, it suffocates us a little bit into hushing down our happy moments. Now, on the other hand, I've met women who say, oh, I didn't tell anybody because I just liked being in my little bubble with my husband. And, and that's totally okay too. Totally okay. I think it's all about preference, but it bothers me that the quote unquote norm is to not tell anyone just in case. I want everybody to know. (laughs) (laughs) I want everyone to know. Yeah. Yeah. And you want somebody to celebrate with, you know, you want somebody to get excited. You know, you haven't had exciting news to share for, you know, X amount of time and going through months of infertility before you get a positive pregnancy test is just like, oh my gosh, it, it, wow. I was in dis, I was in shock. I was in shock when it happened, you know? Yep. I I remember the day. I remember the day and I was so emotional. I was so overwhelmed with joy and fear. And there were so many things going through my head, but I, I felt so grateful that I was able to feel all those things to know that it was possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in the back of my mind, um, I was like, I just want to enjoy this moment right now. Even if it does vanish before me, I want to make sure that like, I am here, I am present, I am living in this joy right now. Um, because I, I didn't, I, you know, we can all just start future tripping and that just starts, you know, dominating um, dominating our interactions, dominating our, our actions, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, personally, I think we as a culture need more skills at helping people who are going through a miscarriage. Um, Cause I think both this conversation is dovetails into a misca- miscarriage conversation. What's one thing someone could do to support a, f- a friend or family member going through pregnancy loss? Well, I know this is a, a hot topic for infertility, but we need to lose the term or the phrase, at least. I absolutely cannot tell you how many times I have heard the terms, at least. At least you can get pregnant. At least it was early. At least you can have another one. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It really doesn't. My What I tell, I've gotten a few followers who have asked me, Hey, my friend is going through a loss. What can I do? What can I say? I don't want to say the wrong thing. I said, the best thing you can do is listen, just listen, say, and even ask them, how can I support you? What can I do 
to help you through this. And something that I say to uh, followers or friends that I know who have gone through a loss, I say, I know there is nothing I can say to make this any better. There's nothing I can do that will make you feel any better right now. But what can I do to be there for you? And usually they say they just want to talk. They just want to yell. They just want to be angry and sad. And that's something I feel like people also shut down. You're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to be upset. You're supposed to look at the bright side and move on. And that is just not the case with some people. I mean, I do know people who are able to do that. And I'm very jealous of them, in fact. But, you know, for me, I had to feel it. I had to go through all the emotions of the losses that I've experienced. And I I just had to wholeheartedly feel it. And one thing I wish I had more of was people who listened and accepted those feelings and validated them rather than trying to say, well, feel this way instead. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, anything you wish you knew before starting all of this? Oh my. <laughs> I I feel like that that could be a whole list of things. Um <laughs> I wish Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I you know, I wish I knew how emotional I would be through it. I wish I knew how much anxiety comes with it. I knew that I would be, you know, emotional and I knew it would be hard and I knew the hormones, you know, you hear all the jokes about the hormones, but it is heavy. It is a heavy load. And I, one thing I wish I knew is that even after beating infertility in whatever way you beat it, infertility stays with you. The experience stays with you. The emotions stay with you. That is just a part of your story now. It's not just, oh, I went through IVF. I had my baby and here we are. Infertility is a part of who you are. Now, it doesn't define who I am as a whole person, but the experience leaves that heavy mark on you. And I wish I knew that. Because mm. I am a completely different person than who I was before going through all of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what makes your blood boil about infertility? Probably all of the misconceptions about it. I think that's what really gets me. I've gotten a lot of comments even that I shouldn't be posting about my journey or infertility at all. Now that I've had Adeline, um, I've gotten, you know, comments about, you know, how much money I'm spending when I could just adopt or, you know, something else. And I, and people in, Oh, my favorite one is why are you buying a baby? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And they said, that's a lot of money, you know, to spend on just a baby. And I said, it's treating a medical condition. It is not purchasing a baby. This is not how that works. Wow. Wow. 
People are so un, like uninformed. Yes, they are. And one of the main reasons I have my page is to educate those who may not be going through it, you know, and so they can see that, okay, this isn't all what it seems because they're, you know, media and all these crazy stories that people come up with for television shows and all those things, it completely derails what infertility actually is, what people go through, what, you know, and all the time when people say just adopt, that's something that drives me nuts too. Yeah, I know. Like it's so easy, you know? Yeah. And adoption is not a just thing. It's not an easy fix for infertility and even adoption, those who decide to make that choice, it's not easy. It's emotional and it's not guaranteed. It's just as much of a roller coaster as infertility is. And so there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to infertility and the options you have and why people choose the things that they do. And that's really what gets me heated. (laughs) Yes, me too. I'm the same way. I've had um I've had a couple of people tell me on Instagram that I ha- I I give IVF a bad name. And um and I was like, "What? What do you mean by that?" And I think it was somebody who felt very private about her journey, didn't want to share it with people. Um and like there's there's a lot of different ways we all cope with infertility. For me personally, I need a village. Like I need a village of strong <laughs> armed warriors to help me get through this. Um and and honestly, like if I didn't share about it, I probably wouldn't have even found my doctor. You know, because like when I went to my first resolve group, they were all talking about this one doctor in the Bay Area. And I was like, oh, I I guess I got to check her out. And I ended up, you know, she was the person we went with for our first round of IVF. So I don't know. It's um, it's different strokes for different folks. But I I also don't think like we should be shaming each other about the decisions that we were making. I completely agree with you on that one. Comparison is the thief of joy. I've always said that and and it applies to so many things. And I've also heard from other people, something similar, not that I give IVF a bad name, but I shouldn't be doing, making this decision. I should have gotten my embryos tested. I should, you know, but it's different for everybody. Every single story is different, but I always say that every single story matters. And the beauty of life is that everyone, even if though we're all going through something very similar, we all have very different outcomes. We all have different experiences through it. It all affects us differently. And learning about all of those or hearing about all of those stories, I think better prepares people to go through it themselves, what they can expect or not expect. And it find it helps people find others to connect with because I need a village as well. I <laughs> I didn't know anyone personally, 
you know, that was going through this, all of my friends were getting married and having babies and it was just so easy for them. And I'm sitting here like, what the heck? Like I, you know, and, and all the feelings I would have, the anger and the sadness, it was so hard to explain to people who were not going through it. So finding people who understood why I was so upset every time I saw a pregnancy announcement or like I wasn't angry at them, but I was angry at the fact that I couldn't be them so easily, you know, things, it's so hard to explain to those who don't go through it. So I, Instagram was my outlet and I needed every bit of information. And I was so grateful to hear about all different kinds of stories because then I had a better idea of what to ask my doctor, what to, you know, expect going into all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think you, that's one of the biggest ways we can arm, arm ourselves is with knowledge and questions and, okay, that person did this. I need to ask my doctor about this you know, supplements. I realized I wasn't taking enough CoQ10, you know? Like you just, you just, you get a wealth of knowledge by hearing from other people's experiences um, that you eventually should take back to your doctor, you know? Oh yeah. I learned so much on Instagram and through the women that I've met on there. And it made, it brought me so many questions, you know, to give to my doctor so I could feel a little bit more secure in the decisions that we had to make. I felt better prepared for what I was doing, you know, because when you're sitting in a doctor's office, at least for me, I would get nervous and my mind would go just to being nervous and I would forget questions and I'd forget things. And, you know, I couldn't think of them myself, but when I would, have people on Instagram, they said, this is what happened to me. This is what I was taking. This is what, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it helps me better prepare and write things down and focus a little bit better. And it made me at least a little bit more comfortable through my journey because the journey itself is already uncomfortable. So having those, you know, supportive women really helped me through it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Chelsea, you're really just touched upon so many good things. I really, I just really appreciate your perspective and it's so, it's so healthy and beautiful. And, um, how can people follow you and your story, um, on Instagram? Uh, well, uh, my, my main social media is Instagram and I'm at the at Chelsea Karras just my name. It's pretty easy, but I love sharing and I would love to connect with as many people as I can because this community is wonderful. And like you said, beautiful and having more people in it as much as I don't want people to go through it. It's amazing to meet the people and the warriors who are in it. Oh, so go follow Chelsea right now. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you and amazing topics. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we covered it all, didn't we? (laughs) We did. All right, Chelsea, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. Thank you.